Raymond K. Takwaye now presents Ash Princess, Part 1, by Laura Sebastian. Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we started a brand new series. It is called Ash Princess by Laura Sebastian. And it is part of a trilogy. Yeah. I am into it so far also. What are your thoughts? I know we don't always align, especially at the beginning, on how we, what we think about the series. So what do you think so far? Well, we've read up to the chapter entitled Doubt, which is about halfway through, and so far I am very into it as well. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, I love that, I think it's I think it's really hard when writing a book to not info dump everything mm-hmm. in the beginning, and I feel like the author didn't do that, but I still have a really good sense of the world right now. Yeah. You know, we have all of these cool little bits of information scattered through like with the spirit gems and the Calovaxians like invading all of these territories but it wasn't like we had a long exposition build up like the prologue was less than a page <laughs> yeah the prologue was actually like a great setup though I loved how yeah it like definitely was I was like I want to know more about what is going on Mm-hmm. But I actually read an interesting article about the author and world building in which she was talking about how that's like not where she starts. She starts with the characters and the idea and then she like develops mm-hmm. the world that would make sense, like that would form those characters. So she sort of had this idea of the like damsel in distress, but um, more like turned on its head a little bit. And she wanted like a heroine who didn't have necessarily like the strength or the traditional skills but like was using her brain and then she was trying to Mm -hmm. think of like what situation would be like so like traumatic and terrible that this to create this environment where this character would develop or something and then she came up with kind of the the bad guys first and then the good guy it was just kind of like an interesting way to think about usually I think like if you these like fantastical worlds I feel like you'd have to start there but no she started with the characters and I thought that was kind of a cool way to world build and it did come together. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love learning about how authors craft their stories, too, because I feel like each one goes about it so differently, and it's such a personal thing. Um, and I, I re- listened to an interview with uh, Laura Sebastian as well, and she also said that um, she always read YA books and thought that if she was the protagonist she would never make it past the prologue (laughs) she's just like I'm not you know really prone to violence I'm not traditionally a strong like warrior by any means and so she set out to write this book and she wanted the protagonist to be someone who should not have survived the prologue by any means but somehow did and I kind of liked that as the core symbolism behind the book as like a girl who shouldn't have survived a horrible situation and, and yes, somehow did. Yeah, and like, I mean, for 10 years, part of you is like, how have you not rebelled more thus far? But when you think about, she's had 10 years where she's like literally beaten if someone from her country like mm-hmm. does anything. Like she's like had to hide so much of herself and denied so much of herself to survive, to your point. Like it's like crazy that she even is alive right now, let alone... Like, it makes sense that she never considered fighting. Like, she never had any resources to fight back any harder than that. Like, she was a six-year-old kid who watched her mother get murdered in front of her, was captured by this, like, sadistic, horrible king, and every even the few people she trusted were, like, set up as traps to, like, punish her and kill them and, like, Mm -hmm. all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's such a great way to put it. She, She shouldn't have survived. And so I I just, I liked that she shared that kind of about her, her inspiration. And um, I also just have such immense respect for this author because she wrote 
10 books before this was published. So is this her first, like, published series? I actually didn't mm-hmm. do a ton of research on her specifically. It is. It is her first series. She has more coming, I believe. Okay. But this is her first published book, and I just think it is so amazing that she wrote 10 books and didn't, you know, become disheartened. She just, and she said she wrote, you know, mainly for herself. Like, she enjoyed the process, and... As soon as one book was done, she moved on to the next. And, I mean, of course, it's hard to be rejected that many times, but I love the fact that she um, writes because she loves it, not because she's, like, looking to become a famous author. I'm glad that she was published, but... Yeah, she's not trying to do the popular thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I I have a lot of admiration for that. Well, it's also interesting. You were talking earlier about loving to learn about writer's process, and I do, too, I think, in part, because I, like, wish that I would have that dedication to like sit down and write and like write just for myself and keep writing Mm -hmm. and turn out these books but then the other part of me like wishes there was like some secret that they all were like oh this is how you do it and they like all aligned and I could be like oh if I just learn to do like this one thing I'll become an awesome writer too (laughs) but I guess it's nice that they all have their own method (laughs) yeah if only it were that easy But yeah, I'm very curious, uh, you know, I think, especially with this being her first series and how I feel about trilogies sometimes, I want to, like, reserve somewhat my total, you know, we'll see how this story plays out and how the three books tie together and if the middle mm-hmm. feels like a middle and all of this stuff. And part of me actually feels like it's kind of slow, but not while I'm reading it, just when I was kind of reflecting back on how far we've mm. come in the first half, I was like, oh, for actually for 200 pages or whatever we're at, like, not that much has happened, but I guess... There was a lot of, like, establishing characters and world building, and it didn't feel slow while I was reading it. Like, I never got bored. I never got, like, oh, okay, we're still here. But when I was just kind of thinking back on everything, I was like, oh, I think because – what was the series we just read? Oh, um – Why can't I think of it? Uh, Holly Black's Folk of the Air trilogy. yeah. Okay, that one was, like, the opposite, because I felt like those books themselves were relatively short, and things just kept happening, so I think maybe it's just in contrast to that, where I'm, like, thinking, I'm, like, oh, for, like, half a book of 200 pages, like, this is longer than most of Holly Black's books, so in some ways, you would think even more happened, and I think the beginning is always the slowest, Mm -hmm. too, because you have to establish things effectively, so I'm not saying it's, like, and again, I wasn't bored or anything, but I was kind of, like, oh, for 200 pages, like, we're kind of... Not that different from where we started, True. but I guess we also have changed. But it's only been like a week or something. <laughs> I know. I can't even tell how much time is passing. <laughs> I don't think a ton. Um, yeah. Do we want to, let's talk about the characters. Okay. So we have Theodosia, who is our protagonist. She was a princess uh, in her kingdom of Astria. Which is like a matriarch. matriarchal society Mm -hmm. i love that her mother was a fire queen um and this area is known for these things called spirit gems so they're gems that come from caves that run beneath i guess there's four temples um that represent the four major gods in this area so there's fire air water and earth and mm-hmm. I love this idea that like the caves are the center of this god, the, each god's power, and they're so concentrated in magic that the gems kind of take on the magic of the of the god, and the the magic's like embedded in these mm-hmm. stones or in these gems, and the power can be wielded if they've like devoted themselves almost like a religious order. It seems like right, yeah, yeah. So it's like if you dedicate your life to this god and are found worthy then you're blessed and and you're like um you kind of inherit that god's power and so then you can use these gems to um serve the country Mm -hmm. as guardians and they said it's it's pretty pretty rare and they said that i love this too that some people go into the caves and are not found worthy and they're cursed almost so they go mad and they die usually shortly after so it's, it's like a very big risk to go into these caves and kind of like present yourself yeah. to, to, to be worshiping these gods because you're either blessed and you wield immense power or you're cursed and you go insane. So I love that concept. I think that is like such a great basis for a magic system. So I'm kind of excited to see where that goes. Well, and I also love, this isn't exactly related, but talking about these gods and their role in the society, like I love that um, both Theo or Thora or whatever we're going to call her for short and um, 
one of her guards, I forget which one now, have kind of talked about this idea of, yeah, like they believed in these gods, but they feel abandoned by the gods too because their country Mm -hmm. was like invaded and destroyed. And it's been 10 years of like, again, torture, like what 80% of their population has died and the rest are enslaved. And it's like, even though they still like, even some of them who are quote unquote blessed with the ability to wield this power are sort of like, I don't feel like it was the gods. I feel like it was like maybe in my blood or maybe I got lucky or whatever, but like, I feel abandoned by any kind of Mm -hmm. like godlike power. They're becoming completely disillusioned. Yeah. Some of them at least. And it makes sense because like these, Calavaxians, they, when they took over the country, they sent people to mine for these gems, regardless of, you know, whether or not they wanted to even do this. And so, so many people are losing their minds and dying. And then it's also that these um, invaders can wear the gems as jewelry. So they like kind of turned this very sacred um and sell it sacred relic and and they're selling it as jewelry now and wearing it just because you can get like a little glimpse of power like i think is it the air or the water gems make you like a little bit more beautiful and like the earth ones give you like a little bit more strength but it's a sacrilege to the to the native people yeah well and it's interesting from the invader perspective again just like for someone who wasn't who supposedly didn't go into it with like a world building idea. I think it's really well developed because the invader population also, this is like what they do. They've like abandoned their homeland generations ago, it sounds like, and they go and Mm -hmm. conquer and they don't like, like they, they literally conquer every like inch of the land and the people. They take everything they can, like squeeze every last thing out of it that they possibly can burn it and move on and conquer a new land. Mm -hmm. And it's just an interesting way to think about it too, because usually even if you like had access to a natural resource, you would think there'd be some degree of, especially if you've burnt out before of like, how do we keep this going? Or how do we, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's like, no, we'll just while we're here, we'll take as many gems as we can possibly find. And when they run out, we'll go conquer this other group of people. So ruthless. Yeah. And what a great enemy to hate. Yeah. (laughs) But then even though we hate what they stand for, and we hate their leader, the Kaiser, we also see I love characters with shades of gray or whatever you want to say. Yeah, like, which one are you talking about, Cress or Prince Soren? Honestly, both of them. Um, and even mm-hmm. some of the good guys. Like, I don't think there are, besides the Kaiser, who I would say seems like 100% evil, although we may even get some backstory of him, which justifies, not justifies, but explains how he ended up so terrible. But everyone else, good or bad, I feel like there's like, they're not 100% either one. Totally, totally. And even, I mean, the main character, you know, yeah. she, um, she's she been captured and she's living in her own castle that she used to live in, but now she's kind of a prisoner. And she's been waiting for 10 years for someone to save her, which is like, off the bat, you're kind of like, okay, girl, uh, you're sitting there waiting for a guy to come save you? Like, maybe do something. But to your point, she didn't really have a lot of resources. But even that kind of like um, hesitancy is like not something that you would traditionally see in a protagonist or a a heroine. Well, and her people, at least some of them, right, feel abandoned or don't trust her Mm -hmm. because she's had to at least play this role. Even if she never like committed with her heart, all of her actions have been basically don't make the Kaiser mad, agree, like, act and agree with what he is asking so that I can survive Mm -hmm. and you can understand that when you're like in her head but if she's your leader and you're out there and you're being yeah I like that everyone's complicated me too but yeah Cress and Soren okay let's talk about Cress okay first of all I love that her name I actually love all the names in this book I'm like very happy with them me too and I normally am very picky about names but I'm I'm liking them um so she is the daughter of like the lead general who literally cut the throat of the last queen in front of Theo. Yep, he killed Theo's mother. What are we calling her? Which big Theo? Um, I think we should call her either Theo or Theodosia because that's her true name. Okay. And Thora was the name that the enemies bestowed on her. So let's go with Theo or Theodosia. Yeah. Do we know her well enough to call her Theo? Is that, am I being too familiar with her? (laughs) We can do Theodosia. (laughs) It's so Hamilton. I keep hearing that song. Dear Theodosia. I haven't seen it. Oh! I know, isn't that crazy? But 
now I will think of this book when I finally <laughs> do, probably. Um, anyway, back to Cress. Yes. So, sorry. So, yeah. So, she lost her mother when she was, like, an infant. So, her only family is this bad dictator man. But she still ended up being really sweet and is, like, kind of the only friend that Theo has had inside the walls of this enemy castle. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting because um, Laura Sebastian said in the interview I listened to, that she loves writing about complicated female relationships. Ooh. And you can tell that this is, like, such a complicated relationship because, like, Cress was nice to Theo growing up. Like, she defended her. She kind of took her under her wing. She was her only true friend. Like, she's never um, really treated her as less than. But, yeah, her dad killed Theo's mom. And Cress is also... As, as kind as she is, she's very oblivious. Like, she basically treats Theo like she is uh, Calavaxian when she's clearly not, and she's clearly a prisoner. So there's there's some kind of, like, she doesn't have a lot of self-awareness, I would say. Yeah. Well, and I read something interesting about her as well. I read that in, like, the first draft, she thought Cress was sort of a throwaway character, and she gave mm. the first chapter to like, some kid that she was babysitting or, like, a niece or something. I don't remember. Some, like, 12-year-old child. And the 12-year-old came back and was, like, Cress is my favorite. And it, like... Oh, my gosh. Basically, like, encouraged her to sort of dig deeper into her character and explore who she was and why she was that way and what it meant that she had grown up in this world and how, like, I think made her a much bigger character because in part because this 12-year-old was, like, I love this girl. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Well, yeah, she dedicated the book to the two children that she babysat while she was writing this story, and she said she used them as, um, like, they were her first readers, which I thought was really sweet. Oh. Yeah, so it must have been one of them. That's great. Yeah. Well, well done, because Crest is one of my favorite characters, too. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know if this is just, again, because we've read so many of these books or whatever, the, I am just waiting for her to... Or them to betray each other, I guess. And I guess the book in general is setting us up for that. Absolutely. But, like, at first I was thinking, oh, there's going to be a moment where their, like, friendship is tested. But now I really think, whether it's in the first book or later in the series, like, Cress and Theo are going to be on head-to-head enemies at some point. I agree. Because uh, this brings us to the next character, Prince Soren. Mm-hmm. who is really coming between them. Yes, as only a boy can between two best friends at age 16. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, but I actually think what's going to come between them is something with the poison. If she cuz she's consider or she's been asked by Blaze and Co to poison Cress and Cress's father. Oh, that's right. And I don't know if she'll actually go through with it or not, but I feel like something I like what I actually think is that she'll choose not to poison Cress, but Cress is either she still poisons the dad and Cress mm-hmm. finds out and gets mad or Cress finds something and thinks she was going to poison her. I think it's going to be I hope it's not just about the boy even though Me too. the boy is um yeah, the start of all this, which also makes me mad a little bit because <laughs> I'm like, Soren, you're an idiot. If you're trying to, like, help, like, don't go after the girl you're supposed to marry who also loves you or, like, wants you's best friend. Like, that, like, if you're gonna not go for her, like, at least, Typical clueless boy. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what to make of Soren. Like, he's almost so nice that I'm kind of wary of him because I'm like, what do you want from Theo? Like, I, I liked that we started learning a little bit more about him that, like, the Kaiser's almost a little bit jealous of how much the people love him and, you know, he kind of really dislikes his father. Um, mm-hmm. And we learn a lot about how how his father married his mother and how that was, you know... That was crazy. Ter- yes. Yeah, I know. Like, what a long con, too. Like, to court someone for that long and act like such a nice guy and then as soon as you marry her kill all of her countrymen and relatives that also reminded me a tiny bit of holly black in the last book as well (laughs) i was like oh a coronation or a wedding and then like everyone dies um but but yeah that was crazy i think here's what i think do you want to hear yeah so you know how theo is basically playing soren in hopes of creating like a civil war between him and his dad and like warring factions in the mm-hmm. political thing. I think Soren is also playing her in some other kind of 
ploy to gain power in mm. that house. So I almost feel like they could be working together if they were just straight up honest with each other, but I think they're both trying to use each other for some kind of gain. To like overthrow the father. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. But what I'm not sure is how much real feeling is there on each side and how that will upset things. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I feel like, obviously, we see Thora's struggling a little bit with, like, oh, I actually kind of like him, not, like, I still will kill him, but I kind of like him. And I'm curious if I can trust that he likes her or not. Mm-hmm. I think what's going to happen is, like, many things, it starts out, it'll start out with not great intentions, but then they'll develop real feelings for each other and that will actually complicate things. Because right now her plan is to seduce him and then murder him and make it seem like the Kaiser planned it. No, seduce him so that he challenges his dad publicly and then murder him. And then dies mysteriously. So everyone thinks it's the Kaiser. Yeah, so it's like, I I really don't think she's going to be able to go through with that. Yeah, which will also be, but like part of me is like, she doesn't, why does she have to be the one who actually kills him? Well, I mean, whether or not she does it or someone else does it, it's still, she kind of set the plan in motion and, and agreed to it. Like, she would, I would say she'd still be pretty guilty. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, she'd be 100% guilty, but <laughs> I would be really surprised if she actually gets, like, what I'd see happening more is her still, like, saying that's the plan and then, like, it having to be Blaze or someone, one of her allies who tries to go through with it and... Maybe it doesn't work, and then that Soren's like, "What you allowed or tried or whatever?" You trying to kill me? Yeah, yeah. And then probably Soren and Crest will get married because they'll be like, "We hate you." <laughs> <laughs> and then she'll be friendless. Yeah. Um. Speaking of friends, let's talk about Blaze. Okay. Um. So they were friends from be- before. They had been mm-hmm. like friends growing up in the castle, and she hasn't seen him in the ten years that she's been captured. And then, oh, well, we didn't even talk about this. What was the big thing that like sort of was the turning point for? Oh, Empelio. Mm-hmm. Who's likely her father? Right. So he, Empelio, was basically the guy she was waiting for to come rescue her. Yeah. Um. He was her mother's closest advisor, likely her father. And they also had a close friendship and stuff, yeah. Yeah, and he was basically the guy who, if there was going to be a rebellion against these invaders, he was going to be the guy to lead it. Unfortunately, the Kaiser kidnaps him, brings him in front of the court, and has Theodosia murder him. Which was pretty awful. Yeah, that was a hard scene to read. Especially since she, you know, obviously knew him so well, and at the end, he was already so, you know beaten and in, in so much pain had been tortured so much he was like you have to do this because if you don't kill me the kaiser will and it'll be worse so he basically like gives her his blessing to murder him yeah and she only is just realizing in that moment that he probably is her father because it had been like a rumor before but nothing she had really revisited and yeah that she hasn't seen him in 10 years yeah and like how terrible does it look like I mean, it was so smart, as horrible as it sounds, it was so smart on the Kaiser's behalf to do that because if Theodosia did become the next symbol of the rebellion, it would be hard for people to back her knowing that she killed their leader. You know, he died at her hand. Yeah. He's he's like an evil genius, for he sure. He really is. I, I, like, really respect him as an evil mastermind, but I just wish he was using his powers for good. Um But another thing I loved about that scene when they were talking to each other and he made that kind of plea or argument that it's better if she does it so that, because he'd die anyways and she'd get Mm -hmm. to, you know, whatever. Um, They're speaking in Astrian or what do we call their other language, language, which has been banned from courts. And even though some people might understand it, there was enough. They were like intentionally using words that either sounded like or had nuanced meaning so that even if it was overheard or understood it, or like it could be easily misunderstood and sound like I love something that. like what was it something about the ships like a ship in a tornado but it could have been like a ship in harbor mm-hmm. I'm as safe as a ship in a tornado or something but it, to, to the unpracticed ear it would have sound like harbor so yeah it was yeah. like they were speaking in code which I loved I loved that scene too I loved that that was really cool. I kind of hope that there's more of that because I love like linguistic things and that was like, that was exciting for me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's cool to learn about the language mm-hmm. in general and like how it's also interesting, again, how identity, how effectively, again, this evil genius is at like destroying identity by like not letting her use her real name and yeah. not letting the language be spoken and like some of these other things. He really has like, it's amazing 
again, that she's survived as much as she has, that she even is able to come out of the shell of a person and fight back at this point after 10 years of this. I agree, because even, um, like, her name, Ash Princess, like, that was a name given to her to humiliate her since her mother was the Fire Queen. Now she's the Ash Princess, and he, like, literally makes her wear a crown of ashes. Um, So, yeah, it is, like, a great indication of how names are very important and can be used to really bring someone down. Um, But back to Blaze. This scene of her killing um, Ampelio, this kind of triggers everything because now the savior she was waiting for is no longer going to rescue her. So she kind of realizes that she has to save herself at this point, which I like. She has a change of heart. That's also where she kind of gets the notice of Soren because he like watches Mm -hmm. her kill her countrymen and like I think starts to develop some degree of pity or whatever that grows and that's why blaze is like Mm -hmm. there at all so yeah it's like all three aspects of the storyline get set in motion because of that and then she meets blaze who is um now a servant in the castle and he has a plan where you know he wants to flee he wants to basically kidnap theodosia and flee and get her to safety to rescue her but Theo instead is like, no, let's not run away. Like, I don't want to abandon my people. Let's let me stay and let me see if I can try and gain information and see if I learn anything helpful. And maybe we can kind of start a rebellion on the inside. Yep. And she's been followed for the last 10 years by these three shadows Mm -hmm. who literally watch her all of the time, at least one, if not more of them. It's just interesting that it took 10 years to figure out any way to get to her, and now they, like, are literally right there because all three shadows have been replaced by um, Blaze and Co. So at least she has some allies on the inside. And they're guardians. Yeah, I am worried about the other girl, though, the one who he was like, she's your responsibility, Cress's servant. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, you're right. Um, Elpis. She's like a 13-year-old. Yeah, I'm worried about her. She's going to get caught. Yeah, I'm worried about her too because she is young to be drawn into this and you're right, like she has to, Theo has to realize that people are helping her and she is kind of responsible for them, especially the ones that are that young. Yeah, I think she's going to have to make a choice at some point again for the country versus her friends and she's going to need to have to choose the country, but Mm -hmm. it's going to like make it really real and really hard for her. I agree. But, but at least the other shadows, her new shadows, are all of age, and they are guardians. And and they know what they're getting into, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and now, thanks to Cress, who's so careless, now they have spirit gems. Yep. So they can really do some damage now. But again, even though Cress has been, like, sweet and nice the whole time and, like, thinks of her as a best friend, she's also this, like, very effective... Uh, vicious strategic general's daughter so I'm just waiting yeah. for that like if she's been raised in that house I'm just waiting for that side of her to come through also she's not going to be a good enemy to have no and we kind of see that a little bit when um, they're kind of fighting a little bit over Soren um, uh-huh. like that scene where Soren invites them both to lunch yeah. and Cress purposely makes Theo dress in this like hideous high necked lo- long sleeved gray gown just to like make her less attractive to the prince i was like oh girl you are so petty like and this is so obvious like what are you doing i kind of loved it though it was hilarious i thought (laughs) it was funny but she does so she does have a mean streak for sure yeah but that's different from like i'm ready to see like the cunning i mean that was kind of cunning but it also felt just like like petty you know like i don't know very high school versus like Mm -hmm. oh yeah we're enemies and i'm gonna bring it um, do you want to know the character who I'm most excited to meet? Who? The pirate. Dragon's Bane? Yes! yes. <laughs> the pirate queen! Oh my god, I'm so excited. We love pirate princes, and now we have a pirate princess. Which is even better. And I love that she's not to be fully trusted. Because oh, I feel like that's the, whole, that's the whole point of a pirate anyways, right? Like, they're kind of a rogue agent, and like, yeah, they can be... Like, that's what makes them interesting, because they're not... They don't have the same moral compass, necessarily, that right. the hero has, right? And I'm... Yeah, I'm also very excited for that. They keep to their own code. Mm-hmm. And she's the mother of one of her new shadows. Yeah. Which also must mean she's Astrian originally, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. So... 
yeah, that'll be good. And again, I love when some of the political stuff is being talked about, not because I'm mm. like super into it, but because I just love, again, it's part of this world building part of this stuff where they're like, oh yeah, as the pirate, she's been attacking, she's been like a thorn in the side of this kingdom because she's been like ruining trade or whatever, but then... Mm-hmm. Theo, like, didn't think about it from the other point of view, where, like, because it's trade ships and not military ships, a lot of the people, especially the ones who don't make it on the lifeboats, are her people who yeah. just drown. And it's like, yeah, is that really help? Like, it's not, it's a thorn in this, it's like a hangnail, right? It's not, like, a gaping wound and what are we sacrificing for? Yeah, she's really loyal to only herself. Like, she doesn't care who gets killed as long as she gets what she wants. Yeah. But you'd still think she there, she has a special place for her actual child, so we'll see how helpful so. it is to have her on our side. And now they sent her to um, the next islands, the Victoria Islands. So it seems like this nation is kind of like next on the list of um, islands to be to be uh, invaded. Yeah. Um. So right now, what's happening is. Dragon's Bane is, is getting word to these islands that the Calabaxians are about to attack. And they're hoping that that will kind of enable them to fight off the siege and then maybe become allies. So it's a good plan. I just don't know if they have the numbers to make it happen. Yeah. Well, if you do think that they're assuming they can get there with surprise and pick off these individual islands one by one, which aren't a warring island, and instead, mm-hmm. again, it's easier to defend land than to conquer it. So if they lose the element of surprise and everyone's all together, hopefully they stand a fighting chance. Yeah, but, but the oh, the other problem is that the Victorians did not come and help the yeah. Astrians whenever the Colovaxians attacked. So like they kind of remained neutral and didn't lift a hand to help. So now it's kind of like, well, will they be allies now if they weren't before? But again, everyone, there has to be someone who takes the first step. If everyone just protects themselves, then that's how the Calovaxians have been able to slowly conquer all these different worlds. So, and we do see there is a map, there's a couple maps at the Mm -hmm. beginning, at least of my book. Um, So we do see more, there's a lot of other countries. So it'll be interesting to see how big this gets. Yeah. Throughout the series. I hope it does get big because that kind of leads to a bigger, richer story. And oh yeah, I agree. So, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of stuff is going to happen. I think that um, there's definitely going to be a love triangle between Blaze and Soren because we did see that scene where Blaze kisses Theo. Yep. And I think he meant it. Yep. I think he got weird because he felt awkward, not because he didn't like or whatever. Like, I think. Agreed. Yeah. He's like in his own head about it. Mm -hmm. Because she's also his queen. Yeah, that's true. And I think that Soren whether or not he's kind of setting her up to use her or whatever his motive is. I mean, he had that nice little sailing excursion where he told her about his cat ship and he's bonding with her now. So I just, I see her maybe falling for both of them. So who do you think will win? Who does she end up with at the end? (laughs) Okay, we're in part one of the first book. I have no idea. (laughs) But we should each just pick a side now so that we can see how it goes. Okay. I'm going to guess Soren. Okay, I'll just take Blaze then to be on the opposite side. I think she and Soren are going to live happily ever after on a boat full of cats that they, that they don't have to kill. <laughs> <laughs> I think that sounds too gooey and it's going to be Blaze because they're actually allies and agree. I don't know. I'm just picking a side. We'll see. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Yeah. That's all I had. <laughs> So, did you do any research this week? Oh, yes. Actually, I did. So, okay. Um, in this interview that I listened to, I learned that Laura Sebastian also was inspired by the idea of, quote-unquote, quiet queens, which I kind of love this idea. So, there are queens throughout history who achieved amazing things but are not regularly talked about. Um, like Queen Elizabeth gets like a lot of attention and so and so but um, so I was doing some research on a queen that uh, Laura Sebastian said helped inspire this book it is Empress Theodora oh no I did the same thing as you did you really 
Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> That's, like, only happened once before in our, like, four years of doing this or whatever. Oh, so. my God. We did the same research. But we probably we probably learned different things, so let's keep going. <laughs> okay. Well, um, yeah, let's just talk about Empress Theodora. Okay, so... Most people know her as the wife of Emperor Justinian. Um, they ruled the Byzantine Empire together. But I just loved her because she was not just a queen on the sidelines. Like, she was Justinian's trusted advisor. Her name appeared on every law that was passed during that period. Um, she received foreign envoys and she talked to foreign rulers. Like, she held roles that were usually held by the ruler, not his queen. Um, and I loved that. And a lot of people said that she probably ruled, um, Byzantium rather Mm -hmm. than Justinian. Like she, she had that influence over him. And I just thought that was kind of awesome. I think he even said something about her being his partner in all things or something. And yeah. Okay. So now you go, what did you learn about her childhood? (laughs) Well, yeah. So I... I think I had seen something, well, partly because of the name Theodora and then something about how she was like the original Cinderella story is what I had seen referenced. Um, Because she was, I love this, she was the daughter of a, what was it, a bear, circus bear tamer or something? A bear trainer. Bear trainer, yeah. And um, probably an actress whose name's been lost to history. And she like uh, had jobs that were not considered very high society at all she was like an actress possibly a prostitute and um they literally had to like change the laws because statesmen weren't allowed to marry actresses or something back then and so Mm -hmm. when she caught the eye of the emperor to be um because it was his uncle was still in power at the time he like rewrote the legal code just to marry her which I think is also just like kind of a crazy story to be like rags to riches and then not only did she like become an empress but to your point everything she did as an empress is also very impressive so yeah I totally loved this origin story too because I think back then in in for a lot of history it was really difficult for women to earn a living Mm -hmm. um like there weren't many avenues open to them and and two of the ways were being an actress or being a prostitute or sex worker and I think it is kind of amazing that she was brave enough really you know to to say no I I my father her father died when she was four right and she her mother was like we we need to support ourselves she kind of guided her towards the stage and she she took to it and was like yeah I'm gonna be an actress I'm gonna do what I have to do to earn a living and kind of have my independence um I read that she was famous for performing an interpretation of Letta and the Swan on stage. And which is like a very, um, it's like a very salacious story where like Zeus comes down in the shape of a swan and like has sex with Letta. And she said, they said that there was an account of when she performed it, she would get like little bits of grain and put them like all over her body and then she used a goose and then a goose would come and just like peck all the things of grain off her on stage oh my goodness I didn't read that part that is hilarious (laughs) um but then she also like she traveled a lot because of her profession you know she traveled to North Africa she was a companion to a Syrian official and then you're right like when she came back she caught the eye of Justinian and I love that he was just like, nope, I'm repealing this law because I want to marry her. And she also, I mean, to his credit, she had a daughter at that point who was most likely not Justinian's, and he still married her and treated her daughter um, as a legitimate heir or as as a legitimate daughter, which I really liked. Yep, I did. I like that too. He seems like a good guy too, honestly, from the little bit that I read. um, He really does. In addition to this. And I may then read more history and be like, nope, he was also terrible. But it it's mostly good stuff from the quick research I did so far. So, And I loved the parallel between Theodosia's story and Theodora's. Did you read about the Nika riots? Yeah, that was the, like, the red and the blue. What was it? Now I'm trying to The remember. blues and the greens. Blues and the greens, yes. <laughs> These, like, war- rival political factions, they, like, started this riot during a chariot race, of all things. And, I mean, to, to be fair, they did say that the riots 
started because Justinian and Theodora had pretty high taxes and they were upset about that and they had arrested like members of the faction of each faction so they were upset with them but the senators were like oh let's use this chaos and we'll overthrow the, the emperor and the empress and they like named a new emperor while the palace was being besieged and the rioters like set buildings on fire and Justinian and his officers were like they were ready to flee. They were ready to leave. They were going to leave mm-hmm. the palace and, and get to safety. Yep, save wow. themselves. And yeah. and then it was Theodora who spoke out, and she like stood up in the middle of this council and gave this amazing speech where she was like, I wrote some of it down. She said, those who have worn the crown should never survive its loss. Never will I see the day when I am not saluted as empress. Royal purple is the noblest shroud. So basically, like, she convinced everyone to stay and fight instead of run, and they were able to, you know, put down the riot. Like, they they succeeded in stopping the riots. And it's totally exactly what Theodosia does in this book, where she's like, I'm not fleeing with you, I'm staying and I'm fighting. And I love that. Yep. And in general, because of all the riots, like, wasn't that when a ton of buildings and stuff were destroyed, Mm -hmm. and once it all calmed down, they, like, rebuilt it into... Constantinople became, like, one of the most beautiful, like, successful cities, like, ever, and um, they, like, built aqueducts and bridges and rebuilt the church and all kinds of things that also, like, just, they they took a terrible thing and made beauty out of it or whatever, so. Yeah, they did. And she was really well-known for championing for women's rights, Mm -hmm. and I thought this was amazing. So she essentially started... Um, making laws, making it a crime to traffic women and young girls. She would buy women who had been sold into prostitution. She would then free them, and then she would provide for their future. So she closed brothels. She made pimping a criminal offense, and she created a convent where um, former sex workers could go and, and support themselves and like create a new life for themselves. She also made... Uh, rape punishable by death mm-hmm. and you know women who were in divorce cases got a lot more rights because of some of the legislation she passed so yeah she did a lot for women as a whole and that also is interesting to think about her background then because she like probably knew that intimately whether personally or friends and family that she had known um the women who had suffered yeah and it's just it's great to see someone come to power and like look back and you know, help bring people up instead of being like, oh, I made it. Like, I somehow right. earned this. And like, now that I have a good life, it's all good or whatever. So I do. I love that. Not only th- that she wanted to do that, but that her husband, again, like respected her as a partner. And like, she was able to take that position. And at this time, especially as a woman with that background, make these like very real changes to, to society. Yeah, because she also, um, she made it illegal to expose unwanted infants to the elements because that was a practice where you would let children die she forbade that and she mm-hmm. um she also made it illegal to kill a wife who committed adultery so she yeah she put in place like a lot of laws to protect women and children which which i think is great so she was a really cool lady and she's she's considered a saint by the eastern orthodox church which is also kind of cool yeah so like what a great inspirational character to serve as the center of this book I also, like, kind of find it crazy that I didn't know more about her before because I've I've also been reading a bunch of things about how, like, there have been movies about her and all, like, she's been a fascinating person in history for Mm -hmm. so, people known about her and I feel like I really didn't, which is, I want to learn more. I want to read more. I would love to see the Hagia Sophia. That's, like, on the top of my bucket list. Mm -hmm. Um, I did see her very famous mosaic in Ravenna, Italy. Uh, which I was like in awe of. I thought it was the coolest. It was. It's absolutely beautiful. So maybe don't go to Italy right now, but <laughs> when it's safe, oh goodness, we haven't even talked about. I guess we talked about it offline. But I, oh. my sister called me and she goes, "I feel like I'm living in one of your dystopian books right now." That's <laughs> so true. And I'm like, we are not only are we prepared because I can stay locked inside and read all the books in my house for literally years and never have to talk to anyone and I'll be fine. But I'm also feel more prepared because we've read all these books and it's like, okay, yeah, like let's hunker down and whatever. <laughs> I know. Some people are stocking up on toilet paper. I'm like desperate to get to the library before it closes. <laughs> I know, right? That's my priority. A lot of, um, uh, I know like open books in Chicago is closed. Mm-hmm. 
except they'll still like ship things or a lot of um, places out here are doing like audiobook oh, subscriptions good. where they do donations to your local bookstore. So if you like join, I think it was like Library FM or something like that or li- Libra, whatever that audiobook thing is, um, you can like select your local bookstore to donate because yeah, it's it's crazy out there. But everyone be safe, stay inside. Stock up on books. Read your books. <laughs> don't talk to don't talk to people except us on the podcast safely. <laughs> We're back just in time. The funny thing is, like, I'm terrible at talking to people on the phone except you, yeah. who I talk to like every week, and it feels normal. So I'm like, oh, I actually can't talk <laughs> on the phone. I'm okay. <laughs> um. Well, since we both did the same research, we have a little bit of time left. Do you want to play a game? Uh. Okay. What is it? Okay. So. Um. I'm so nervous. I don't want to lose. It's kind of a hard game, but I will. Oh, no. I think you can do it. Okay, so I saw Laura Sebastian in an interview where she had to describe a book plot in six seconds. Okay. And do you want to see if you can do it? So you're going to give me a book and I have to describe the plot in six seconds? Yeah. Like the whole plot or enough to get someone to read it? Just like, yeah, just enough. Not the whole plot, but just like... Like the back cover version of the plot? Like, give a synopsis in six seconds. (laughs) I thought you were going to, like, read her six-second ones, and I'd have to figure out who what book it was. Okay, yes, I do want to play. I'm nervous. (laughs) All right, I'm going to start a stopwatch. I'll do ones we've read on our podcast. Okay. Okay, The Cruel Prince, go. That's about this human girl who grows up in fairy and power struggles the end. Good! Oh, I don't oh, know what to that say! Was perfect! <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't was... even use complete sentences. I get really nervous. <laughs> no, that was perfect. <laughs> okay, wait. I get to give you one now. Let me look at okay. our podcast list. Um, Nevernight. Oh, okay. There's a girl who's an assassin and she goes in a killing spree and takes revenge. Perfect. <laughs> just like death. Like, I would have just been like, people die. The end. <laughs> Murder, death, breasts. <laughs> okay, your turn. Ready? Yep. Sky in the Deep. Go. Wait, I don't even remember what book that is. <laughs> You're done. Is that the, is that the Viking one? <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't even remember that one. Oh my goodness, that's so bad. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, I failed that one. Um, Do you want to give me another one? Can I redeem myself? Yeah, yeah, I'll give you another one. Okay, ready? Caraval, go. Okay, uh, fantasy carnival where sisters try to do magic. The end. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) That's not bad for sisters trying to do magic. (laughs) I like... That's not bad. It's hard to remember some of the... Like, I'm like, okay, that's the book. (laughs) And then... I, like, can't put it together fast enough. I don't know. These are hard. I don't even... I'm still stressed about the Viking one. Okay, give one to me. Okay. Um, <laughs> Everless. Um, time is money, and bad things happen when you use it. <laughs> <laughs> More or less. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, this is really stressful. <laughs> I like I also feel like when I'm like looking at them I'm like oh I could talk about that but then when you ask me I'm like I just forgot everything there is in the world to say about this I know it's so hard okay (sighs) let's do one more each okay okay three dark crowns go three princesses have to kill each other and they have different powers oh my god that was amazing (laughs) you did that in four seconds (laughs) okay that makes up for okay good sky in the deep okay you ready Mm mm-hmm Vicious. Vicious is about two friends who develop superpowers and then become enemies. That's perfect. <laughs> that was more coherent. Even when I did one that kind of made sense, it, I feel like I didn't use complete sentences. I couldn't remember what happened after that. So. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much it. Then they just try and like hunt each other. And right, right. They're, I mean, basically they're enemies. That's, that's what happens. <laughs> they have superpowers <laughs> and they're enemies. <laughs> okay, I think we did pretty good. Okay. Except for the time I forgot what the book was. <laughs> I think um, it's funny because, well, as we, everyone who listens to this probably knows, I'm terrible at names, including titles and authors. But I think if I had, like, seen the cover, I would have been able to talk about it. But, like, mm. for some reason, I, like, couldn't remember 
I couldn't place, especially duologies, I think it's harder to remember all the names because they go by so much quicker. Like if it's, if it's a trilogy where we're always talking about like, oh, the Ash Princess series or whatever, it's easier to remember. I don't know. That's my excuse anyways. I'm going <laughs> to stick to it. I'll buy it. Um, okay. Is there anything else we want to do for this episode? Um, tell a joke. Is it my turn? I think so. Okay. Do you have one? Yes, I do. Okay. 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 Um, what do dyslexic zombies eat? Oh, this is great because of coronavirus. Um, something about brains. I don't know. What? Brian's. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like it. Thank you. Thank you. Anyways, I obviously need some sleep, but that's okay. I'm going to go read instead. <laughs> I can't wait to keep reading. I am really excited to finish this book. And there's three of them. I know. I'm really, I'm curious to see how far we get in book one, because I want it to be like standalone enough, like where something concludes. Like she mm-hmm. needs to, the Kaiser needs to find, either the Kaiser dies or she yeah. leaves the island because there has to be like, things have to escalate. Oh, yeah, I want, like, a big twist at the end of this book that will, like, make me super excited for book two. Okay, here's the big twist. Blaze is actually working for the Kaiser. Is back. <laughs> <gasps> oh, my God. That would be... That would be awful. It really was all a trick. No, I'm just kidding. Um. <laughs> it would solve the problem of the love triangle, though. That's true. Okay. Uh, okay, well, we'll wait and see. Let's see. I don't really... I'm not going to put money on that one. Okay. Unless it's right, and then I'm going to be like, I totally called it. Um. (laughs) In the meantime, everyone, stay healthy, stay safe, stay quarantined. Yeah, just read your books and listen to our podcast and don't go outside. Simple. Yeah, and and, and you can send us an email while you're at it. You can send us an email at mnktalkya at gmail.com. Or reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram at mnktalkya. And you can play the six-second clock game if you're bored. Yeah, see if you're better at it than we are. (laughs) Won't take much. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo designed by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.